Okay, now I think it's working. Tell me in a minute. It should start starting in 10 seconds, I think. I think it might be working. Check if it's working in, a, in, a, in, a, in a... Uh, Yes, it is. It is. Okay, thanks. All right. Shalom Thank you for joining. Uh, tonight's class is dedicated to our usual hostess for our Monday night's classes, dedicated to Rachel Channel uh, Tzipoira Bas Rachel. For Rafua Kreva Shlema. Every morning after prayers are over, before everyone goes home, there's one little paragraph that's very important to say, and that everyone is aware of how important it is. And that little paragraph is called the Six Remembrances. Torah tells us to remember six things every day. There's actually um, more than six, according to some opinions. Uh, some people say 10 remembrances every day. Chabad custom is to remember six events that happen every day. And five of those events seem very uh, central, very part of being Jewish. But one of them sticks out as, as being an anomaly, as not being part of the uh, centricity of Yiddishkeit, of Judaism, and surprising that it is, um, that it's counted as something we're supposed to remember every single day. The question is, why is this, why is this anomaly there? I'm going to tell you about what the six remembrances are about. First of all, we're told, we're told to remember how we left Egypt. Okay, that's, of course, very central to being Jewish. God redeemed us from Egypt. We're supposed to remember how we stood at Mount Sinai, we're supposed to remember to keep Shabbat. We're supposed to remember the sin of the golden calf. And we're supposed to remember um, the war with Amalek. And there's one more, and that is we're supposed to remember the story of Miriam. The story of Miriam, which is in this week's Torah portion, doesn't seem to fit in with the other six, other five remembrances. Other five are so important, so central to being Jewish. But the sixth one, remember what happened to Miriam. What exactly did Miriam do? And why is, why is uh, what she did considered so important that we're supposed to uh, remember this uh, every single day? So the story with Miriam goes like this. God told Moshe Rabbeinu that... Um, he's going to give the spirit of Moshe Rabbeinu and put it upon 70 leaders, 70 elders, 70 wise men. And there are two women who discover that their husbands were chosen to be the elders, the leaders. Two of the women were chosen to be uh, the two Women, Elda and Meida, their, their wives are talking about how their husbands were granted this great privilege of having the spirit of prophecy, the spirit of Moses. And as they're talking to each other, Tzipora, the wife of uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, says to Miriam, the sister of Moshe Rabbeinu, 
I feel bad for them. Why do you feel bad for them? She says, now their husbands will have to leave them. In other words, once God appointed Moses as his prophet, so Torah says that Moses, God told Moses to stand with me, to be close to God, and he was never, he was never allowed to return to regular married life. And in the same way, Sipporah says, I feel bad for Eldad and Medad's wives because now that they've been pointed as God's prophets, their wives will never be with them anymore. They're going to be separated. And although this wasn't true, because only Moses had this distinction of, of being separate from his wife after being granted prophecy at Mount Sinai, but Miriam was shocked because Miriam was also a prophetess, as was her brother Aaron, and she was able to continue regular married life despite the fact that she was a prophetess, and she was so shocked that her brother did this to his wife. So she didn't just stop at being shocked. She gathered uh, her nuclear family together, in this case, Aaron, her brother. She told them what's going on, and they said, we have to do something about this. Why is Moses separating from his wife? And God appears to Miriam and Aaron, and Moses is humble. Moses doesn't respond to their accusation, but God is upset at Miriam and Aaron for doubting Moses, for questioning Moses as a prophet of Hashem. And Torah says that as a result of Miriam speaking about Moses, about Moshe Rabbeinu, she was punished and she got what is called Saras. She got this disease for a week after uh, she said this about Moses and after God was angry at her. So she had this disease for an entire week for seven days. That's the story. And the Torah says to remember the story every single day. And the question is, why is the story so central to being Jewish? The Torah tells us to think about this and remember this every single day. There are some very uh, wonderful organizations that promote how careful we have to be with our speech. But yes, it's a very hard thing to always be careful and always say the right thing and not to insult anyone, not to, not to say anything negative about anybody. But it's not something that's, that's uh, central to being Jewish. It's something that the Torah commands us to do among many other commandments. It's not to say lush and hard, not to speak negatively about other people, isn't what makes us Jewish. And the question, therefore, is how come we are commanded to remember what Miriam did every single day? What, is that, what does that mean? So before we um, go to the answer, I wanted to uh, mention another thing which is very central to being Jewish and doesn't seem to have any meaning. This week's Torah portion talks about lighting the menorah. And just like the menorah was lit in the temple, we find candles and uh, lighting menorahs, something that is very central to being Jewish. We light Shabbat candles every Friday night. God forbid someone passes away, they're remembered with candles. Um, every year on the anniversary of the yard site, the candle is lit. Um, on Yom Kippur, on every holiday, we usher the holiday in with candles. There is a Portuguese uh, synagogue in Amsterdam. It's not that old, but only a few hundred years old, but there, it's a very unique synagogue in that 
They don't have any electricity in the synagogue, just candles. And why are candles, why are they so important that everything we do is associated with lighting candles? What, what does that mean? If, if the purpose of candles is just to give light, so before Shabbat, we have all the electricity on. I mean, we don't really benefit from there being another candle there to give us light. In the time of the Talmud, that's all they had. Okay, so they needed to have candles. But why is it so important for us to light candles every Shabbat? Why are they significant? So Rabbi Shemzam um, Erbach writes that what candles contribute to any event is prestige. When you see candles, you see, oh, this is a prestigious, this is an important event. So the Shabbat candles aren't so much about giving us light so we should be able to see, we have electricity. They're more about giving prestige, giving honor to the day of Shabbat. They're about ushering in and honoring the day of Shabbat. There are some people which have a custom, it's not the prevalent custom, some people have a custom to turn off the electricity before lighting Shabbat candles, although it's not commonly done, but some people have this custom because they want the candles to actually bring light into the home. Uh, some say that the reason why God told Moses to light the menorah was to give light to the tabernacle. This doesn't seem to fit in with what Maimonides, uh, his opinion, because Maimonides says that the menorah only gave light at nighttime. And during the day, there were no windows. So how was there light in the temple? There must have been other candles there. And if they needed light, then certainly they would know by themselves they have to give light to the tabernacle. So what then is the point of lighting the menorah if they if they either if either way there is um there needs to have need to have light there so that's why Orbach says that the meaning of shabbat candles is about honor but it's going a little deeper it's it's not only about honor the talmud the torah says the candle of god is a soul of man a jew is called a soul is called a candle of god and the role of every soul coming to this world is to bring light into the world. And one of the most effective ways of bringing light into the world is by having a child and by raising a child. I read this incredible uh, story. Uh, there was, after the Holocaust, American soldiers came to one of the concentration camps. And as uh, happened, Unfortunately, to hundreds of people after the American soldiers came, the kitchen became open to everyone and everyone ate as much as they could. And many people died because their, 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 their stomachs were unable to take in all the food that they were, they were so hungry. They ate more than their bodies could handle. So the, in this particular concentration camp, their general made a rule that made a proclamation. No, none of the inmates, none of the Jews should be given any food of course, they're going, to get, they're going to give them meals, but in addition to the meals, no one should give them food because it's, it's dangerous. They're going to eat too much. They're not going to be able to handle it. If anyone's hungry, they're, they're to be told to go to the hospital. If they're hungry, go to the hospital. Don't just give them food. So one Jewish soldier, this little boy, comes over to him and says, Ich bin hungrig. I'm hungry. He spoke Yiddish. I'm hungry, and he's crying. Please give me bread. And the soldier had bread. He had bread, and he had chocolate in his bag and he wanted to give it to him but he couldn't give it to him because he knew it's going to hurt the child but he wanted to give it to him and he he, he was so he felt so strongly 
about helping the child. He just took the child and he hugged him. And he hugged him and he thought about his wife and he thought about his children and about his parents and everyone he loves in the world. And he decided he wanted to give this love to this child. And as he's hugging the child, the child starts to cry and he starts to cry. And they're crying and crying and crying. And then the child finishes the hug. He looks at him and he smiles. And the soldier looks up and he sees there's a whole, there's a whole line of children. And he doesn't know what this is. And he realizes they all want a hug. And he goes over to the next child and he hugs his child. And he hugs his child and then he thinks again and he gives the child all the love he has and he hugs the child. And he gives, and, and, and he, you know, he's so worn out. He's so completely, you know, drenched from, from the first experience. But he does this again for every single child in the, in the line. That night, of course, he was completely wiped out. But he said that throughout his life, he met these children, he met these survivors. And time and again, he heard the same refrain. You don't know what you did for me. You don't know what that hug, what that love gave to me. That gave me the, the wherewithal to believe again in people, to be able to get married again, to be able to start my life again, and to build my own future. The Torah says that when Aaron lit the menorah, the Torah says he went up to light the menorah. Now, some say the reason why the Torah uses that expression, which is actually the name of this week's Torah portion, Bahaloscha, it's because there was little. There's a few steps that he had to go on top of in order to light the menorah. But Rashi famously says that he lit the menorah and he had to make sure that the fire in the menorah rose by itself. He had to put the candle, let the candle kiss the wick until the fire rose on its own. And in a similar way, the role of a parent is to give the child the love and the, and the wisdom that the, whatever the, child, the parent can give the child. And the goal is so that the child can rise on their own. And only a parent can give some things that no one else can. Rabbi Avram Parshan was actually told by the Rebbe that there are certain things that parents can't give. It says in the Torah, teach the Torah to your children. The Talmud says the word children actually means your students because your children can't always be your students because... Your children, you're hard on them. And you expect too much from them. That's why it's very often best to have someone else teach your children. Although uh, there are some things, like in the present situation, where many parents, including myself, have become the principals of their own homeschool. So there's, there's something that only a parent, only you as a parent can give your child because you care so much about your child. That's why only you can give what you can give to your child because of how much you care. So the goal, though, isn't that... The goal isn't that you should give. The goal is that the child should be able to receive and be able to rise on their own. And that is why the Torah associates holiness and Shabbat and holidays with candles because the role of a Jew in this world is to bring light in this world. And one of the most incredible ways of doing this is by raising our children. So that's exactly what the Torah is telling us of the story of Miriam. I mean, think about it. If the purpose of the story is to remind us not to speak negatively about people. So what's really happening? We're speaking bad about Miriam. We're saying she said something bad about Moses every single day of history and every single day forever because the Torah is forever. And we're saying such negatively terrible things about Miriam. She she spoke bad about her brother so that we shouldn't speak bad about people. It doesn't make sense. 
and what motivated Miriam to go and, and to speak negatively about Moses? What was she thinking? What, what motivated her to go out and, and to tell Moses that? So the answer is, the Torah is not telling us what we shouldn't do. The Torah is telling us what we should do. We should learn something from Miriam. Miriam was having a bit of a deja vu moment. Think about this. Miriam, mm-hmm. when she was five years old, her father did the same thing. When, when the Pharaoh made a decree that all Jewish baby boys should be killed, so Moses was not yet born. Amram and Yocheved only had two children. They only had Moses and Miriam. I'm sorry, Aaron and Miriam. And the Pharaoh said he's going to kill all Jewish baby boys. So Amram decided, the leader of the Jewish people decided, he wants to separate from his wife so that the Pharaoh can't kill anybody. And what happens as a result? Everyone sees that Amram separates from his wife, so everyone says, we should do the same thing. And everyone separated from their wives. So Miriam was five years old, and she told her father, you're worse than the Pharaoh. And I'll tell you two reasons why you're worse. Pharaoh is a human being. Whatever he wants to do, maybe he'll be successful, maybe he won't. But you are the leader of the Jewish people. What you say is going to happen. Number two, Pharaoh only decided to kill the Jewish boys. But you, Dad, you're killing, you're preventing any Jewish boys or girls from, from ever being born by, from mom. So Amram said, my daughter, he kissed his daughter and said, you're right. And because of what um, Miriam said, Amram reunited uh, with his wife and she and her husband were blessed with Moses, the man of God, the leader of the Jewish people who redeemed us from Egypt. So now Miriam is 80 years older than that. And she's now talking to Moses and she's thinking, Moses is such a great tzaddik. Moses is so holy. And Sipora is so righteous. The Torah says about Sipora that she was black. And why did the Torah say she was black? The Talmud says, the word black is euphemism. It means beautiful. Black means beautiful. That's where the expression comes from. Why does black mean beautiful? Because just like, just like when someone is black, they're completely black, so too Sipora was completely beautiful. And there was nothing about her that wasn't beautiful. In fact, not just she was not only was she was she physically beautiful, but also her deeds, whatever she did, was beautiful. So, so Miriam is thinking, Moses is amazing, Zipporah is amazing. Why in the world should they be separated? And therefore, she was so bothered that she had to mix in. And that was correct. That Torah says, learn from that. Learn what from Zipporah did. Learn from what um, Miriam did. The only thing that she didn't do correctly was the way her mechanism was incorrect. And the Torah actually compares what Miriam did to what the spies did. The spies go to Israel, and famously, they say something negative about the land. Now, they had a mission to tell Moses what's going on in Israel. So what was wrong? What was wrong wasn't that they said something. What was wrong was the way they said it. Instead of going to all the Jewish people and having a a, uh, press conference with all the Jewish people and telling them, um, what's uh, happening um, in Israel, they should have gone into the tent of Moses himself and just told Moses alone, Moses, this is what's going on. And the problem wasn't what they said, it was how they said it. And similarly with Miriam, Miriam didn't make a mistake in telling Tzipporah what she felt, telling Moses what she felt, 
that Moses should reunite with Zipporah. That was good. The fact that she cared so much that there another Jewish child she brought to the world, that's good. The fact that she, had, that she mixed in with someone else's life and she tried to pry was a good thing because something really important was at stake, something which is the whole future of the Jewish people, the whole future of the world was at stake. Why can Moses and Zipporah not be married? That's really important. The only issue was, was the way she did it, she should have done this privately and only said this to Moses and not brought in Aaron and made this a, a conversation. So that's why the Torah tells us to, to read the story every single day. The Torah wants us to realize how there is a, there's an obligation that we have to try to bring, bring Jewish children to the world. Whether we can do this ourselves, whether we can encourage other people to do this, but everyone has an obligation to try to bring light to the world and to bring another Jewish child in the world. Everyone's actually said that everyone wants to, everyone who looks at their child and they say, ah, I want my child to be smart. I want my child to be a chevreman. I want it to be funny. I want it to be humorous. I want it to have some character. I want my child to be humble. I want my child to be a musician like Mozart. I want him to be a chess player. I want it to be like, uh, like uh, Michael Jordan. Everyone has all these dreams about their children. And the truth is that no child can do all of those things. But that's why God blesses a person with more than one child. And that's every time, uh, if, if you have, when, when um, Amram and Yochavad were married, they already had two beautiful children, but they were missing Moses. In a similar way, if God gives an, a person opportunity to have another child, so without that child, they're they're missing something about in their in their mosaic of life. There's something that's not yet there. Now, of course, the biggest challenge that everyone has thinking about having another child is the finances. People think, you know, it's so expensive to live today, and some people think that today's climate, financial climate, may be similar to the Jewish people in Egypt, where they had no idea what to do next. They're in Egypt, and and should they have more children and there's a lot that Miriam said, a lot of wisdom, what Miriam told her parents then that we should take to heart now. Don't think that just because the world is turning upside down, it's time to, God forbid, to stop bringing Jewish children into the world. Miriam told her parents, you're worse than the Pharaoh. You have to feel, fulfill God's will in bringing a Jewish child into the world. And Miriam saw that, that there's something that her father doesn't see, and she was she didn't hesitate and tell that to her father. And a similar way, the Rebbe says that a child, Talmud says, a child comes with bread in their hand. A child comes not not alone, but every time a child was born, that opens up another channel of financial blessing in order to support that child. As the Talmud says, when God gives life, He also gives a livelihood with that life. There's a famous story. I'll leave you with this story of Mordechai of Nidvarna, one of his students, one of his Hasidim, needed a blessing. He was having a very hard time financially, and he asked his Rebbe, Mordechai, I need a blessing for Parnasa. I need a blessing to have to earn money. So Mordechai said to him, I give you a blessing to have a child. He's like, that's not what I asked for. I need a blessing to have money. And Mordechai said, I give you a blessing to have a child. And he had no idea what was going on. And later, Mordechai explained that he saw in heaven that there were, the gates of heaven were locked, that there was no more financial blessing available 
for this person based upon where he was spiritually. And the only way to unlock the gates of heaven was by having another child. The one who gives life gives parnasa. So the Rebbe actually said, said this so emphatically on so many occasions, how parents should never take finances into consideration when it comes to having a child. That God sends with a child, God sends with a child the ability to support that, that child. And that's what I wanted to share tonight, that the Torah is telling us to learn from the story of Miriam, that when you need to mix in, you've got to do what you can and, and share what you can. And uh, any questions, comments, criticism, tomatoes, cucumbers, zucchini, I'm a David. Bottom line is, this week's Torah portion tells us we have to raise our children, bring children to the world, bring light into the world. May Hashem help each of us and all of us to do something more to bring light into the world until we actually come to Yerushalayim with the base of Megdash and see Aaron Akoyin once again light the Menera in Yerushalayim with the base of Megdash. Good evening. All the best. Amen. Oh,